University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Have you ever had a day like this? You pull up to a gas pump, you get out, you go through the 30,000 questions on the pump display, you select your gas, you pull out the pump only to realize that you've pulled in on the wrong side. This is a metaphor for a lot of days of my life. <laughs> There's a great video online, actually, of this unfortunate uh, man who actually pulled in and out of the gas station five or six times and could never get it right. Uh, did you know that, that the car actually gives you a little bit of guidance as to which side the gas lid is on? Uh, if you look at your gas indicator on your car dash, you should see a little arrow that tells you which side your gas tank is on. Sometimes the obvious things go right over our heads. Sometimes we find ourselves doing the wrong thing in life, finding ourselves on the wrong side of the pump. What if you've been told that you had been looking at things your entire life backwards? What if someone came along to tell you that the way that you had seen the world through your eyes was all wrong? Would you believe them? Well, this is the invitation of Jesus, to change our way of, of thinking and living. And Jesus came to show us that we have turned the world backwards or upside down. And a journey with Jesus is this ongoing process of turning it right side up or forward. We're going back into our kingdom series that we took a break on for about five weeks. Kingdom, through story, Jesus turns a backwards world in the right direction. We're examining how Jesus used parables to change our way of thinking and living. And for the context of our passage this morning, it's so important because Jesus has just finished one of the more remarkable encounters in the Bible with a man named Zacchaeus. We know Zacchaeus as a tax collector, uh, he, he took advantage of people, he, and yet he was transformed by Jesus. Without solicitation from Jesus, Zacchaeus gives back all the money he took from others and gives half of his possessions away to the poor. And the scene doesn't change because Luke tells us in chapter 19, verse 11, that while they were listening to this, he went to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Now, instead of looking at Luke's version of the parable, we're going to actually read from Matthew's version. The basic reason is this. Luke has a lot of extra details that I would feel bad in ignoring, and you don't want to give me that much time this morning. And so we're going to look at Matthew's version, which is found in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. It's called the parable of the talents. Now, talents aren't what you're thinking about. It's not like a talent show, like America's Got Talent, The Masked Singer, or Dancing with the Stars. Talents was a form of money in Jesus' day. A talent was equal to about 15 years' worth of wages. And Matthew writes this in chapter 25, verse 14. Again, the kingdom of God is like a man who's going on a journey, who summoned his servants and entrusted his property to them. To the one he gave five talents, to another two and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The one who had received five talents went off right away and put his money to work and gained five more. 
In the same way, the one who had two talents gained two more, but the one who had received one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money in it. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled his accounts with them. All right, so some quick facts about the story so far. There was a rich guy who has a lot of money. He has enough money that he gave eight lifetimes worth of wages away to his servants. Or maybe a better perspective, he gave them 120 years worth of wages. That's a lot of money. Now, Jesus is very specific on the details. There's three servants, and not all of them received the same amount of money. One received five talents, another two talents, and yet another received one. And not only is Jesus specific about the details, but he also tells us that the servants received those amounts based on their ability. Some were more capable than others. Let's be honest. If your boss gave you that much money, we'd be booking a flight to Las Vegas like today. (laughs) He gives them the money and says, look out after my property. And then he heads out on this long journey. We all know a thing or two about responsibility. When I was a a kid, uh, my parents taught us very early about responsibility. After a meal, we were in charge of helping clean the kitchen. One of us had to do the dishes, one of us had to put away the food and clean up the table, while the other took out the trash and swept the floor. And every Friday afternoon when we got home from school, before we could go out to play with our friends, or when we got older, before we could go out on a date, we had to each clean our own rooms in the house. One of us had to take out the trash and dust the furniture, one of us had to vacuum the house, and the other had to do all the other leftover miscellaneous projects. Now, when I was younger, I was not given as much responsibility as my older brothers because they were more able. But as we got older and more capable, we got equal responsibilities. Now, my mother tells me now that I'm far more capable than my other brothers. Uh, Did you hear that, Ashley and Aaron? I assume you're listening online. And I'm sure my mother right now is watching this, starting to send a scathing uh, text message to me right now about all this. What's important for us to recognize is that God has endowed each of us with talents. You are a beautiful, gifted, vibrant, and unique individual. Your personality, your passions, your gifts, and your strengths are uniquely embedded within you to equip you to do so much in this world. And God did not uniquely give us these things for us to resist our uniqueness in the shadow of our perception of other people's greatness. You have a name, You have a story. You matter to God. And it's so easy for us to assume that we are like the servant who only received one talent in the story because we think of ourselves through the world's standards of education and financial well-being and social standing or careerism or age or stations of life or marital status or level of experience. Instead of looking at yourself by viewing yourself out of a scarcity, what would it take for you to see yourself working out of abundance? Because God has endowed you with extraordinary talent. And Jesus tells us that the one who received five talents, double what was given to him. The one who received two did the same, but the one who received one buried it and put it in the ground. Let's learn how the master responds. says this in verse 24. The one who received one talent came and said, Sir, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seeds. So I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But the master answered, Evil and lazy servant, so you knew that I would harvest where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter 
then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and on my return, I would receive my money back with interest. Therefore, take this talent from him. Give it to the one who has ten. For the one who has been given more, he will have even more. But the one who does not have, even what he will have will be taken from him. When I was in fourth grade, uh, the teacher gave us an assignment um, to write an essay on the topic written on the board. And, and there, the rest of the class, we, we, we sat down and we spent the rest of the day writing out this. I remember this so vividly like it was yesterday. And we worked on our essays all day long. And when the teacher asked for a volunteer to present their essay first, of course, the smartest girl in the class threw up her hand. And she started to read her essay about her favorite snake, the boa constrictor and all the ways that she loved it. And she did a fabulous job, which, which got me really, really worried about the essay I had written. Except when the teacher got up to thank the girl for her essay and presentation, she proceeded to tell her that while her essay on her favorite snake was fantastic, the assignment was to write about your favorite snack. And I sighed in relief knowing that I had written a wonderful essay about Little Debbie's Nutter Butter Bars. And the girl got a D for failing to listen and appropriately write on the assignment. You see, that's talent one guy in this story. He got the assignment wrong. You know, he started uh, to, to make sense of, of what was happening as he realized as he was listening to the master comeback, talking to the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy, and he started to realize that what he had done was wrong. But in the ancient world, one would protect yourself from being sued uh, of losing your money and trusting others. You would bury it in the ground. The treasures were buried all over the ancient Near East because that's how people protected their money. The banks weren't reliable, so people buried their money in the ground. And this was contrast to, to us in a capitalistic uh, society today that thinks we'll put it in the bank, invest it, make sure something happens. But based on the master's reaction to the third servant, it was a terrible lapse in judgment. You see, he did the practical thing. He did the safe thing. He buried his money in the ground so he wouldn't mess up, so he wouldn't lose it. He buried it so that he would not have to take a chance and fail miserably. But when the dust settles, he truly did not understand his master nor what his master desired. If he did understand the master, then he would not have sat on his money but he would have taken a step of faith to make something happen. So his poor judgment, his lack of faith, his apathy did not pay off. The master's response, you evil and lazy servant, he took away from that servant what had been entrusted to him and gave it to the ones that were more faithful. My, my sympathy goes out to the one talent guy because, because it makes sense what he did. He understood the assignment, right? Why was he not as successful as the others? You see, sometimes we find ourselves in the same place in life, whether it's fear or uncertainty or apathy or disinterest or lack of self-confidence. There's a mix of emotions that hold our feet from walking in faith. And whether we realize it or not, these emotions strengthen within our soul, preventing us from seeing the opportunities that are right in front of us to grow and to thrive personally to act and be a part of God's beautiful, redemptive work in this world. And such competing emotions are our stunting agent to our soul. It's, it's the most preventative wall keeping us from seeing just how deep and how wide and how strong we can become through God's grace. And without realizing it, we become like a plant 
that does not receive water or sunlight. We become starved for God's living spirit to abide within us, breathing in new possibilities. And since we do not receive God's spirit within us, since we don't receive God's strength, we find ourselves frail and weak in front of possibilities. As one author put it, futures not achieved are only branches of the past, dead branches. When we've given into the control of such emotions, when we, they just keep us from growing in our journey with God, then the moments of hardship and difficulty, those tough decisions of testing, of profound opportunity come, we choose to bury our talent in the ground because that's the safe choice. But it doesn't just stop there. Because of such strong and overbearing emotions that fool us into believing that we don't have talent from God, that our gifts aren't good enough, that our resources aren't useful, that we couldn't have our talents used. Or we think to ourselves, I don't have time for this. I'm sure someone else will step up. I bet someone else will contribute to what's in need. And like the one talent guy, we can become all too accustomed to not using what has been given to us not stepping out of faith, shrinking back from the opportunities because we believe that we can't make a difference in our lives and the people around us in the community and the world. And if we, if we are honest, I hate it for the one talent guy in the parable. The one talent guy isn't given a second chance. His, his talent is taken from him and given by the master to someone else and commanded not to return. And I, I hate it for a couple reasons, because it's so easy to project this ending onto God's attitude towards us. First, we need to remember that this is a parable. This is not a resolute theological statement about God's desires to condemn us if we choose not to act in our lives. And second, we see from Jesus again and again, the Gospels, that God is a God of second chances. But, and there's a big old but, God does not force us into second chances second opportunities, chances to redeem ourselves. This story would have looked and felt quite different if the one talent guy had said, you know what? I got it wrong. I get it. Can I have another chance to do what is right? God doesn't want us to fall victim to our own immobilizing emotions, but at some point we have to decide for ourselves if we want to change our attitude and response to the moments of our life. And this parable is clear about what happens if we continue to be immobilized. If we continue to live out of fear and uncertainty and disinterest and apathy, the talents that have been bestowed upon us will be given to others. But despite the one talent guy's arc, this is not what God has in mind for us. So let's go back in the story to verse 16. The one who received five talents went right away and put his money to work and gained five more. In the same way, the one who had two gained two more. But the one who would receive one talent went out and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled his accounts with them. The one who would receive five talents came and brought five more, saying, Sir, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained you five more. His master answers, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who had two talents also came and said, 
Sir, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained you two more. His master answered, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Now this story is turning a bit more hopeful. Our first two servants had a good return on their investment, but let's not fail to see that they actually took a gamble. Again, burying treasure was the smart thing to do in the ancient world. But their gamble paid off. They invested and and doubled what they had been responsible for. And, And not only does their gamble pay off, but their master is overwhelmingly filled with joy. He's ecstatic. His property doubles thanks to these two servants. But maybe, just maybe, they weren't gambling at all. Maybe they understood the responsibility given to them. More than this, maybe they understood who the master was. They knew that when it came right down to it, there was really no risk at all. They understood that they serve a wealthy and generous master who had distributed to them more they can ever see and imagine. Maybe they understood that their master actually had faith in them. He believed that they were capable of doing great things for him. The last the master responds with a blessing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Why did the five and two talent guy get it? Well, the, the answer is actually simple. They knew their master. You see, we serve a God who not only loves us enough to send forth his son to live, to suffer, to die, and to resurrect for us. But we serve a God who believes in us, who entrusts us as a new creation to be responsible of transforming God's world. And in return of what God desires for us is to understand God, to know what God desires, to seek God's kingdom, to bring about the transformation of this world individually through our lives and the people around us. And to know God is to know what God knows is best. Therefore, we can make a return on God's investment. The servants knew their master. But there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. God doesn't want us to know all the perfectly penned theological statements about God, but God desires for us to to know God and to journey with God so that we might experience life to the full. A servant knows his master because he spends time with the master. Spend time with God in prayer. Spend time in God's word. Spend time talking with other people about God, and we become more attuned to knowing God in our lives. 2020, as we've talked about so many times, has been such a difficult year, and one of the things that's been lost on this year is we forget that, that way back at the beginning of the year, L.A. Lakers great Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter accident. Now, as a kid, I idolized the Lakers. These were the days of the Showtime Lakers, of James Worthy and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Byron Scott and Magic Johnson, coached by Pat Riley. But one thing I loved about Kobe, besides the fact that he won five championships, is he has this innate drive to play through anything. Bad injuries, subpar team play, poor coaching. Kobe once said, I have self-doubt. I have insecurities. I have a fear of failure. I have nights when I show up in the arena and I'm like, my back hurts, my feet hurt, my knees hurt. I don't have it. And I just want to chill. 
We all have self-doubt. You don't deny it, but you also don't capitulate to it. You embrace it. What if that's the point of this parable? Embracing, not capitulating to every opportunity. It's time to know our master, to know that God desires to bless us abundantly, to know that God desires to see us and to see us through us grow the kingdom. So it's time to step up in faith, to take a gamble for the kingdom of God. And if you really think about it, we serve a God who has blessed us with gifts beyond our wildest imaginations. And the only risk involved is not using those gifts at all. There is no time like the present. It's time to start using our gifts and our resources for God. I love how the Proverbs puts it this way. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food in the harvest. Do you want profound wisdom? Then go to the ant. Say what? I just imagine a British narrator talking about an ant in my head as I was reading that passage. The ants really are a fascinating creature. Did you know that there are over 10,000 known species of ants in this world? This creature, a third of the size of a paperclip, can actually lift three times its body weight. They live in community together without complaint or hesitation. The ant will fulfill its God-given task, yet this small task truly makes our eco-cosmic system function as we know it. The ant is a proactive self-starter. She does what she is designed to do, thinks beyond the temporal, and doing what will sustain life in the future. Consider how something so small can be a source of such great wisdom. So yes, go to the ant, consider its ways of life, and gain wisdom. You see, from the ant, may we collect this simply complex wisdom. Reject capitulation. Leverage your God-given talent to live life to the fullest. There are so many things that can immobilize us in this life, our relationships and in work and in the church, but we serve a God that has empowered us to face all situations that come our way with the strength and talent that is within us along with the Holy Spirit that dwells within and around us. Instead of shrinking back from the daily opportunities to use your strengths and your talents, what would it look like if you leveraged what God has given you for life to the full? Imagine what your work and your relationships, your friendships, your outlook, your dreams, your hopes and engagements with the church would look like if we lived into the fullness of what God has endowed us with. So consider your personality, your experiences, your passions, your strengths, your resources, Are you utilizing them or are you burying them in the ground? Are you capitulating or are you fighting the good fight for a better life, better relationships, a better community, a better church, a better world? I love how Bono, the lead singer of U2, put it, I'm rebelling against my own indifference. So ask God to give you the heart to rebel to say no to the things that capitulate your heart and your mind and your soul. Ask God to give you the strength and courage to live life to the full. And may you and I find ourselves daily giving over to God the fruits of God's investment in our lives. 
May we hear from God today and tomorrow and the days to come, well done, good and faithful servant.